Tonight we're continuing in Exodus chapter 20 to look at the ten words or the ten commandments of the Lord that were entrusted to Moses and given to the entire people of the nation of Israel. This is their foundational document. This is the core of their covenant with the Lord their God. And as a part of that covenant between God and his people, he was teaching and commanding his people how they should treat not only the Lord, but also one another. And so the last several commands in the Ten Commandments have to do more directly with our relationship with our fellow man. And so we've seen in the last couple of weeks the the command to honor and to protect human life. And just how precious human life is as made in the image of God. We've seen in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, how sacred marriage is and how marriage is to be honored and treasured and that covenant not to be nullified and breached by the sin of adultery. And tonight we're looking at the eighth commandment, which is a command that at its heart is to honor our neighbor by also honoring his property by honoring that which belongs to him. And so this commandment very simply says, you shall not steal. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, our God, we thank you that we can call on you tonight. We thank you that you hear us. And Lord, we come tonight to your open word, and we desire for our hearts to be open to it, to receive it, to apply it. Help us, Lord, to see not only the the very bare root meaning of this commandment, but help us to see how this command applies to so many areas of our lives. Help us to see all of its implications and applications for our world today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us during this time, and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You shall not steal. Mark Rooker, in his very helpful book on the Ten Commandments, provide some background that, uh, that shows these Ten Commandments in relation to the ancient world in that day. And so he compares many of these commandments to laws that we know, say, from Egypt or from Babylon or Mesopotamia. And, and so from some of the laws that we have from the ancient world, we can see how commands like this were applied even in other cultures. And so, for example, in Mesopotamian law, they have obviously the command to not steal property, but they also have other commands that relate to it that shows us more implications of this command. For example, the Mesopotamian law says that embezzlement is a form of stealing. Grand larceny or misappropriation of funds would be a form of stealing. In the ancient world, we also see that in that culture, there were many, many really gangs, organized crime, if you will, that was formed around stealing and gathering other people's property. In the ancient world, punishment was usually a fine that could be anywhere from 10 to 30 times the amount that was stolen. In some cases, if the person could not repay that which was stolen, they could face the death penalty 
in some of these other cultures, such as in the Mesopotamian or Egyptian culture. Sometimes they would have to face servitude. Sometimes they may have to face a physical punishment, such as the cutting off of a hand or cutting off of an ear. And so very serious penalties in the ancient world. And I think that's interesting that when we come to the Bible then and look at the scriptures, we see that in the, in the scriptures, the biblical law is in some senses similar to those other ancient laws, but in many ways it is distinct. And I think a couple of ways in which it is clearly distinct. One is that this law about not stealing is set within the Decalogue, set within the Ten Commandments, which begins with the unique worship of the Lord your God. And so beginning with that as the foundation, that means that all of the commands that follow are set within a framework that is not only how we treat one another, but it's set within a theological framework about how we relate to God. And so to steal from our neighbor is not only to do a crime against our neighbor, but it's also a sin against a holy God. And so in that sense, it is different from the ancient world. I think it's also interesting that in the ancient world, in Egypt and Mesopotamia, that you could go as high as the death penalty for theft of property. But in biblical law, the, the most, the highest penalty for stealing was to restore five times the amount. Death penalty is not applied to stealing in biblical law. And one of the commentators helpfully pointed out that this shows the incredible value of human life in that, in that human life is clearly distinguished from property. And whereas human life, to take a human life is worthy of the death penalty, worthy of capital punishment, but to take someone's property, that is not worthy of capital punishment, but that is worthy of restitution, restoration. And so that's some interesting comparisons with the ancient world. What does this command mean? What does this verb mean to steal? And interestingly enough, there is some Jewish writings, long Jewish tradition that that tries to make the case that this command specifically has to do with kidnapping, with the stealing of people, probably for the sake of having slaves or servants for the household. And one of the reasons why that they, they see it that way is because of the next chapter, Exodus 21, verse 16. Exodus 21, 16 says, Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Interestingly enough, the word there that the NIV translates kidnap is the same word to steal. That's in... Exodus 20, verse 15. So some have tried to make the argument that the Eighth Commandment is not about property in general, but it is specifically about kidnapping, stealing people. And what I would say in response to that is the word itself is actually fairly broad. So when you look at it in different contexts, it's not always used in the context of stealing people. In fact, whenever it is used in the context of stealing people, it always specifies that. So it specifies the stealing of a person or kidnapping. 
as it does in Exodus 21.16. So that word to steal is used, but it specifies stealing a person. So I don't take the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, as specifically pointed to kidnapping. That is a very serious breach of this commandment, that that form of stealing is worthy of the death penalty because it involves the stealing of a human life. But the commandment itself is much more broad than that. And it has to do with stealing anything at all of anyone's possessions. There's also another word that is used in the Old Testament that is used in context of stealing or of robbery. It is a different word. And so the word that is used here in Exodus 20 verse 15 is the Hebrew word ganav. But there is another word that is used in other contexts, and that is the word gazal. And gazal in other contexts, and so we have these two words that are both mean to steal or to rob. So what's the difference between the two? Jacob Milgram in his commentary says that this word that's used in Exodus 20.15, ganav, is to steal by stealth. Whereas gazal is to steal by force. And so a slight distinction between the two. And so ganav, this one here, would be to, to sneak into somebody's house while they were away or while they were sleeping and to steal their belongings stealthily and take it away without their knowledge. Whereas gazal is to uh, basically a home invasion, storm into their home and tie them up, terrorize them, brandish weapons, and steal their belongings right in front of them. And so a bank robbery would be gazal, whereas embezzlement would be ganav. So we have these two different words that are used. So why is one in the Ten Commandments and the other one not? Is there a reason for that? I would say probably not. I think Probably the word that is used here is just kind of a general word and probably is intended to bring underneath it this other word as well, which is to steal by force. Interestingly enough, I chose Leviticus 19 because it uses both of these words. It uses both words within two verses of each other. Leviticus 19 verse 11 says, do not steal. It's almost the exact same form as Exodus 20:15. Do not steal. But then two verses later, it says this. Do not defraud or rob, Gazal, by force, your neighbor. So they're both prohibited by biblical law. They're both wrong. They're both a, an affront to who God is. To steal someone's property, either stealthily or by force, either one is a violation of this commandment. So how did it work out? in the Old Testament? How was it applied in various Old Testament contexts? One of them clearly is taking someone's property without permission. Taking someone's property without permission, either secretly or by force, either one would fall under this command. And often we see with the breaking of this command that there are other sins involved with it. And so, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? That when we sin, very rarely is it ever one sin in isolation. Almost always it involves a collection of sins working together. 
And so, for example, we see with David and Bathsheba, yes, there was adultery, but there was also coveting, wasn't there? There was also deception. There was also, it also led to murder. And so some commentators have even said that David broke all 10 of the commandments in that sin with Bathsheba. And so a lot of times it involves sins working together. So it is with stealing. Oftentimes it involves deception. Oftentimes it involves oppression of people, manipulation, a lot of other sins that can work together with stealing. Here are some specific examples of theft in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 19 verse 14 says that secretly moving a property boundary is theft, is stealing. So in other words, to go and take somebody's fence and move it over two feet, that's theft, that's stealing. Deuteronomy 25 verses 13 through 16 says the use of false measures and balances is stealing. And so you're a, you're a business person and you have a scale and you've twisted the little dial on your scale. Of course, I'm using modern terms. They didn't have little adjustable scales in the ancient world. But in modern terms, you're, you're adjusting your scale so that when you say, I'm giving you a pound of this, you're actually giving them nine-tenths of a pound of that so that you can gain more profit over time. That's stealing. Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6 suggest strongly that selling goods of inferior quality is stealing. Exodus 22, verse 25, and also in Deuteronomy 23, we see that charging interest of fellow Israelites was considered stealing from them. Taking advantage of other people by charging interest of fellow Israelites, charging interest of your brethren, was viewed as stealing. And there, there were various penalties for theft in the Old Testament. The, the most common punishment for theft in the Old Testament was to pay back double what was stolen. In some cases, that could, it could be more than that. For example, in Exodus 22, verse 1, we see that if someone steals an ox, he has to give back five oxen. If somebody steals a sheep, he has to give back four sheep. But the common restitution was to pay back double. And I think the point of this is to restore the person to his pre-theft position or better. That, that's the idea. And so higher penalties could be given on certain occasions in order to deter crime. But generally speaking, it was to force the person who stole to give back double and repay it. If he didn't have the money, then he'd have to work for it. And he'd have to serve to repay that amount. In the specific example of kidnapping, as we saw in Exodus 21.16, to steal a person, that was punishable by death. Because you're stealing a life. In the prophets, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, we see them frequently listing stealing as one of the charges against unfaithful Israel. The stealing could include oppression of the poor, charging interest unlawfully, not paying wages in a timely manner, charging a general mistreatment and exploitation of the disadvantaged, such as the poor or the widow. 
And so the prophets frequently condemned Israel for their theft. And that theft could take on many forms. What about in the New Testament? How is this applied in the New Testament? One commentator says this, I think very helpfully, is that theft is described in the New Testament as a behavioral pattern that needs to cease when one becomes a follower of Messiah. When someone becomes a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, then theft should no longer be part of that person's life. Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work with his hands. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, stealing, theft is listed among the sins for which people will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see in James chapter 5, verse 4, that not paying workers their earned wages in a timely fashion is stealing. And so what, what should characterize a Christian is not stealing and desiring the property of others, but what should characterize a Christian is willingness to love and to part with our own belongings for the good of others. As we see, for example, in the case of Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, who had possessions, he had lands, and he sold them and he gave to others. So the exact opposite of stealing is the the gift of charity and of benevolence toward others. We see in Luke chapter 19 that Zacchaeus, when he was brought to the Lord Jesus and repentance and salvation came to his house, what was his response? I'm going to pay back everything fourfold. And so Zacchaeus understood the implications of trusting in Jesus, the Messiah, and that was to walk in his paths. And that meant restoring what he had taken unlawfully as a tax collector by cheating and lying to people, stealing what was rightfully theirs. What are some ways that we can apply this command to us today? Well, first of all, I think there are a couple of implications in this command. One implication is that There is a biblical precedent or a biblical foundation for the rights of personal property. So in other words, the Bible says, obviously everything belongs to God, right? So ultimately everything belongs to God. But under God, there is in scripture the concept of personally owned property. You couldn't, this command would not make sense if there was not such a thing as personally owned property. And so the Bible does not teach anything like communism, where people do not own their own property. The Bible has as its foundation a belief in personal property rights. In fact, in Scripture, it was a very sacred thing for the the property of a family to stay within that family and to be handed down from one generation to the next. And so there's an implication in this command of personal property. There's also an implication in this command of a strong work ethic. And that is that people, instead of stealing, instead of getting things unlawfully, that the way that they acquire the things that they need is through work. In fact, Paul even says that in Ephesians 4.28, that in in coming to Christ, those who steal should steal no longer. Instead, they should work with their hands doing something useful to provide for themselves and for others. 
So there is implied in this an, an ethic of hard work and a, a basic assumption of property rights. But how can we apply this? What are some, what are some ways, what are some things that, that we should avoid in terms of, of not disobeying this command? One is clearly property theft, right? To steal someone's property. Simple theft of taking a possession that belongs to another with or without force, stealthily or with force. Property theft. Taking someone's possessions or, as we see in Scripture, trying to move property boundaries or defraud someone out of their land or personal property. So that's property theft. But we also see in Scripture, and I think could be applied to us today, is all different kinds of forms of business theft. Business or economic theft. One of those is extortion. Extorting people. Embezzlement. What is embezzlement? Embezzlement is you're in a position in a company and you can cook the books. And you can manipulate the numbers such that money flows into your account instead of the business's account. Fraud, money laundering, misappropriation of funds, wasting your employer's time. Well, that's a big one, isn't it? I was, re- I was listening to something just the other day, and I-, I forget exactly what the precise figure was. But I want to say it was in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 percent, 30 to 40 percent of workers time today is wasted. And a good portion of that wasted time is spent on this. Checking Facebook, checking email, Twittering, whatever it is, Instagram. And that's costing businesses in our country billions of dollars in productivity. I think the Bible would say that's theft. You're getting paid to work, to, to be a, a productive worker and, and put in a, a, an honest day's work. And to waste a lot of that time is stealing from your employer. Cheating on taxes is stealing. Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. But render to God what's God's. But to cheat on taxes, to to lie on tax returns, that would be stealing. If you're a business and you false advertise, you hide defects in products, you, you produce defective materials and sell them to people, that would be stealing. False measurements, giving people one thing, but they think they're getting somebody something else or something more. Charging someone more than the fair value of the item. Maybe taking advantage of somebody's ignorance and, and charging more than the thing is worth. I think one of the ways that, that the poor are oppressed in our society is through the levying of heavy interest. The levying of heavy interest. And so, for example, if, if someone is going through a hard time, guess what? The bank is going to charge them more and more higher and higher interest. And one of the worst culprits of this are these same-day loan, check cashing places, title ponds, all these places. They charge a ridiculous amount of interest. 
30, 40% interest to the people that need it the most, to the people that are having the hardest time. The Bible talks about usury or, or heavy interest on people. That would, that would be theft. I was talking about this with my family one day, and I was trying to encourage them to stay away from these things. But rent, and by the way, this is not a business thing. This is just, I'm trying to make this as biblical as possible. But rent to own errands, rent to own places like that. Come and get, come and get a, a stove, come and get a TV, come and get a couch, and you can rent to own it. It seems like, yeah, okay, I don't want to go into debt, put it on a credit card or go into debt, so I'll rent to own it. But the problem is, is that you're paying probably two or three times the value of what that thing is worth by paying it in rent installments over time. One time I was just messing around and I factored in what, because they give you in very fine print what the actual value of the thing is. And so you calculate that out and then you multiply the monthly payment times how long they say you have to pay for it. And I figured it out one time that it was roughly in the neighborhood of 51, 52% interest that they're making off of rent to own. That's, that's a heavy burden that you're placing on people. That's, that's stealing from them. It's oppressing people. So you have business economic theft. You also have academic theft, right? Academic theft is rampant today in our culture. Why? Because the internet. You need a research paper? Google it, right? Google it. Go to a website that produces research papers and sells them. Go to a website and just copy and paste it. Plagiarize. Cheat. It's theft. And it's dishonest. There's intellectual theft where you steal someone's ideas. Someone has an idea and, and it's copyrighted, it's restricted, and you steal that idea and you try to make a profit off of it yourself. Illegal copying of movies, music, software, books, etc., etc., without the permission of the author, piracy, it's theft. What about failure to give charitably? when it is within our means and power to do so. James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So failing, failing to give when it's within our opportunity and power to do so. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, Failing to give God his tithes, what is due him, is robbing God, is theft from God. So what about some more positive applications from this command? I think hard work would be a positive application of this command. Financial respons- responsibility in terms of care and wisdom with one's money and possessions would be a positive application of this command. Generous Generosity and giving would be a positive application of this command. Here's what one commentator said. One of the issues that's at the root of this command is a lack of contentment. A lack of contentment. 
He says, like the subject of the 10th commandment, which is to covet, theft betrays an essential dissatisfaction with one's lot in life and the desire to obtain more than the Lord has granted. Stealing at its heart is a dissatisfaction with what we've been given. It is a desire for more, and it is a dishonoring of our neighbor. Another commentator says this, This command is about honoring God and honoring the value and dignity of one another. When we rob from another, we are devaluing that person, and we are devaluing the labor that it took to earn that reward. Christopher Wright says this, The thief robs his fellow Israelite, not merely of some of his economic prosperity, but also of part of what is his as a blessing and gift from God, as a person, and a part of his share in the inheritance of the people of Yahweh, as an Israelite. That is, stealing carries not only financial liabilities, but theological and spiritual liabilities as well. In other words, you're stealing from, some, from someone what God has blessed them with. And so you're stealing from them a gift of God. It's dishonoring to that person, but it's also dishonoring to the Lord, isn't it? And so there are many, many ways that we need to see how we can obey this command as believers of Christ. But if I were to kind of sum up what this message is all about, As Christians, we should not be known for coveting or stealing, but we should be known for loving and giving. As Christians, we should not be known for coveting and stealing, but loving and giving. And so may we honor our neighbor by honoring what belongs to our neighbor, and so honor our God as well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who gives good gifts. You're a God who blesses your children. And Lord, you have blessed us in so many ways. You have provided everything that we need, not only for this life, but also for the life to come. And so, Lord, may we be content in that. May we be content in the situation in which you've placed us, in the level of prosperity in which you have uh, blessed us. Lord, let us not find ourselves coveting, desiring that which belongs to others, their possessions or their lot in life. But Lord, help us to be content with your loving hand and your providence. Lord, may we not be desirous of the possessions of others selfishly, but let us be known for our love and our generosity to our neighbor. And Lord, only your grace, only your spirit can do this in us. And so we ask for his grace, for his help. Lord, bless us as your people. Help us to provide a model, an example in this to our friends, to our neighbors, to our community. Lord, may we as believers, as Christians, be known as those who deal faithfully justly, righteously with others and with their property. And so, Lord, bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.